Great. We're part two with Rock is Bacchus uh, with Dave Pepin. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's yeah. good. Thank you. <laughs> I'm famous for screwing up last names, man. Even people I've known for decades. That's a anyway, good one. Thank you. Before, before we get into it, a word from my sponsor, um, Army Guy Graphics. That's all one word. Telling your war stories through graphic arts. Shirts, license plates, decals, you name it, Steve can do it. Tell him Rock is Bacchus sent you. Once again, that's Army Guy Graphics at on Facebook. All one word. Enjoy. Okay, where were we, uh, Dave? We were talking about your biggest oops. Yeah, so just like in closing, that biggest oops was definitely having left the military as a whole. Um, that's that's the big the biggest one. Is I just wish I invested more into my friends and relationships than I, than I did at the time. So you you didn't make friends within the community or outside the community or what do you mean uh outside the community like you didn't have a broad enough support group is that what you're saying i definitely did have a support group mm-hmm. uh, but for me i was just trying to keep the family front like on rails with all the traveling that we do and stuff right yeah how long like, are you married or are married uh no longer married was married 17 years yeah um so after an exit uh not long ago from another government uh, department i was able to be at home for the first time a complete year for the first time in like 2003. So then I got to see a little bit what the home front was like, and it's, it's just not what I signed up for. Yeah. Um, but with that said, uh, when you're in the military, there's tons of commentary about, like even from commanding officers, it's like go home and invest into like, you know, your family and stuff yeah. like that. And you really get the feeling that you're, you're the bad guy in a sense, right? Like everyone's there for you. And uh, there's, there is truth to that. Um, I just couldn't differentiate between, you know, uh, what, what, what was there and a partner that was not yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but the way the cookie crumbled today is like fantastic. So, yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm fairly fortunate in, uh, the fact that I did build some relationships and, uh, when I, when I recently became ill, these guys and uh, girls were there for me if yeah. I needed anything to, to, to help out. And they've been solid all through the last couple of years. So awesome. Um, I guess I did that right. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the fact you keep going out the door and going out the door. Yeah. You know, um, when I interviewed Roman, he said, we were talking about over deployments and guys needing mm-hmm. rest. And he says, you know, we'll, we'll keep doing it. As long as you keep ordering us out the door, we'll, you know, drag ourselves with our teeth if we have to, but yeah, we're going to get, get it done. And that, that shit, that mentality is good for getting things done, but it's terrible on uh, family lives. You know? like it's important to have, but that's where the duty of care comes within a large corporation or organization like, you know, Department of National Defense. Yep. It's like people are saying it, right? Okay, got to take care of you. And it's like, fantastic. Go tell the general so he can tell members of parliament to chill out. And... Right? Well, you got to tell the prime minister to chill out because he's a he's a dog that runs the show, and yeah, he's running <laughs> something. Let's not get into the current one. I mean, overall, yeah, because um, he has actually more power in government than say the U.S. president has. Because mm-hmm. he, you know, they have more checks and balances. We've got first past the post um, voting. It's controlled by the uh, East. And uh, the rest of the country gets shit. And wait a minute, uh, I digress. My point was <laughs> the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the point was the, pri- the, pres- the prime minister has more political clout than most any other free world government. 
mm-hmm. out there. But he, he can't, he's got a majority government. There's no way of getting him out of there. Next election. Yeah, next one. It's always the next one. Yeah. All right. Uh, where were we? So you got, you got out of the military. And why did you get out of the military? I got an opportunity to do some serious work with another government agency in Canada. And um, after almost a year-long recruiting process, um, I was able to work for them in northern Iraq. And so the deal there was work there for us in northern Iraq, and when you're done, you'll have a desk job in Ottawa. So it was an opportunity to move my family into the city. Uh, We love Ottawa, beautiful place. It's still there now. Um, However, when I showed up to this organization... Um, I literally went to Iraq and then they decided to tell me that everything they told me with regards to rest and relaxation and vacation time for services rendered was shot down from a month and a half to 9.9 days. So over the course of two years, I spent a year of my life in Iraq and uh, they saw it fit to give me like 19 days off for that year. Um, so the way I look at it is I missed out on three months of like vacation FaceTime with my kids and my wife at the time. Yeah. Um, I've got an email that says, Mr. Pepin, it is unfortunate uh, that you were misled in the hiring process. So you bet your ass. I went to like access to information and got that email out and uh, give that to a lawyer. And, and then you go through the internal process, right? And they're like, yeah, Dave, we did tell you that. But the policy changed. And so they don't want to make it about how the policy changed five or four months before I joined. Yeah. Because if someone told me, hey, Dave, that month and a half for six months overseas, it's now like not even a week and a half. Yeah. I would have said, thank you. I'm going to stay in the job that I love, which is dropping bombs. Yeah. Right? Period. That's it. And uh, so at the end of the day, the, my contract came to an end and then they didn't re-sign it. Um, so you had a two-year contract or three-year? It was supposed to be three years. And then I guess the three years over there starts when human resources starts like looking into your file and hiring you. Yeah. And so they changed that one on me. So it wasn't a true three years. It was just like uh, an, in, an incredible traumatic affair all around. And uh, even to the point where, like, senior management was telling you that when you're in Iraq, your evenings and your weekends are on your own time. Mm-hmm. It's like, where are you going to go with, like, a nine mil in your pants, right? Like, the, the, local, the local shisha shop will welcome you in. Yeah, like, <laughs> we, we did some runs and stuff like that. That's fine. But, I mean, like, I wasn't going to the Russian strippers or anything like that to, yeah. like, you know, cut the edge off. Did um, the Russians bring in strippers? Yeah, there's, there's a footprint in there. Like, everyone's got, like, their fingers in the pie. And, yep. like, I still don't even scratch the surface in the understanding of northern Iraq as far yep. as I'm concerned. So I haven't been in there since 2019. And, uh, like, who knows how it's morphed these days. But it is sad. It's a constantly changing place. I mean, it's unfortunate that the Americans went in the way they did and did ha- didn't have any follow-up because we're getting a lot of guys killed for no good reason. Mm-hmm. But I'm jaded. <laughs> I hear you. I, I, think, I think the more time that I've been out of the military and I'm away from it, the more time I'm... I'm not anti-military. I'm just... We, we get tied up in some stupid shit, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And I, I was an older guy when I got into it, so I understood that, yeah, you're going to get ordered to do stuff that you don't agree with, possibly. Um, but that's, that's the job. Yeah. But now I think, why is that the job? Why are we dropping trillions and billions of dollars on, you know, a couple of fucking gray pots <laughs> to... to uh, Big time. You know, it's just, we could, surely we could be putting that money into yeah. development or some fucking thing. Or the other part of that can be like, I'm thinking about, you know... Um, when we had our dog handler like lose the bottom of his legs in 2011. Yep. And so it's like, see those three guys over there? Yep. They've got AK-47s, all right? And they're maneuvering around us. They've shot at us. I mean, that's a target, yep. period. And then if your ground force commander says, Dave, we're trying to like get the people locally on our side. We're not dropping bombs. I was like, we're going to deal with those three hassles tomorrow and the day after until they get one of us, yeah. you know, and it's just, I, I don't even know how that guy wasn't murdered. I mean, he, he left later on, but I think it was incredible amount of strength on the part of all operators to just kind of like, you know, swallow that. Yeah. And so then, like you said earlier on, some people do deserve to die. Yeah. And like, I think I sleep well because everyone that was KIA like deserved it. Like it was, you could see it, you know, it's like, that's a bad guy done. Um, but sometimes it was just like, oh, no, we, can, we can't do it. Optics. It's like, are you kidding me? Like 2015, same thing, optics. The Kurdish people had like um, like a SoCal Hummer that was matte black painted, you know, just missed flames or like some tiger teeth yeah. on there or something. And uh, for us, we couldn't use the Hummers. We had to use like SUV uh, that were, um, what do you call it? Uh, up armored and because of like the public relations aspect and the optics the are you kidding me too uh too aggressive yeah for for isis on the front line <laughs> shut up like come on so you got out you went to school for a while yeah that was a really good thing so um after uh my contract had ended uh, with the other government agency um then i started working executive security to the governor of the bank of canada Nice. Um, so it's just kind of like a point to have a job. Good pay? To, uh, it was okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but like no benefits and stuff. Okay. It's like it's definitely an environment where veterans are taking, not abuse, it's too powerful of a word, but taking advantage of other veterans. Yeah. It's gross. Um, so it's, from it's there. It's low risk as well, I'd imagine, yeah. It is low risk, but some of the scenarios that are, are there, like you see some of the online chatter about what, you know, they think the governor is like a, a Jew and then it's like you get those kind of actors yeah. get in there and you just don't know when someone's going to do something, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but we, we had no training, no nothing. I was in a suit, and I looked like a stud and just walked around and like really put a lot of points on my aeroplan card. So It looks like a stud that. without a suit there, people. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and I'll take all that I can get. And uh, so from there... Uh, then I made the decision, uh, talked to a few influential people within uh, D&D uh, and the RCMP. Um, and then they said, Dave, yeah, you, you could do a master's in securities, but you'll be really honed into that, right? But if you do a master's of business administration, then you can diversify a little bit. Um, so I took on way too much with the executive MBA at uh, Telfer Ottawa U. Um just because I wasn't recognizing the symptoms of like what I was going and I, I needed to invest in myself. Yeah. Um, so I squeezed through the first year 
I still have like seven months to do to have my master's degree. Uh, I'm going to do it, but at the moment, I'm just working on myself. What what symptoms were you going through? Uh, so one of them is definitely anxiety. So diagnosed in 2012, but I learned about it really, you know, just a few years ago. Like nobody told me that, hey, Dave, we've just diagnosed you with this. Um, is it something that you noticed throughout your life or is it something that... No, I didn't notice throughout my life as much as I just thought that's what you go through when you're an adult. Mm -hmm. So leaving the forces was violent, but I went into like a paramilitary job with that other government agency. Yeah. So it, like it just never stopped the traveling. Yeah. So the biggest challenge with the MBA is I think as a special forces operator, you think outside the box and you can bring a lot of in innovation mm -hmm. and thought process to, to that. Yeah. Uh, writing... Uh, not being an officer was definitely the hardest thing for me, yeah. like way behind the curveball. Um, like on writing papers and mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, like I got a couple A pluses in there, but they were just because I knew exactly what that one professor, how she wanted me to write, yeah. right? But that was two weeks of my life where I neglected like my kids and myself <laughs> and my dog, and uh, but I got an A plus, right? So yeah. I can do it, but it's a significant effort. Um, and then the symptoms that I was realizing is just like. Hey Dave, this is due like Wednesday and my body just kicks into overdrive. It wants to take on the mission, yep. right? It wants the ceaseless challenge as seesaw operators will say. Yep. Um, and it, it's just not like that anymore. I got to like be able to sit down and feel comfortable with it and just take time to think. But the brain is always like um, wanting to go back to war because I was trained to do that. I'm really comfortable doing that. So dealing with civilians and just seeing like human resources do some of the bewildering things that they do, uh, that'll definitely kind of set me off. What um, uh, did you have any experiences in school dealing with uh, students? Did, like it came up, you were in the military somehow. And the first day that I introduced myself in my class, oh. um, <laughs> like I, I just blanket statement, like you know, in the military, fourteen years. Uh, I did this other thing. I work with the governor of the Bank of Canada at the moment and like security background. Um, and I'm just looking to learn and, and, and grow. And then I had mentioned that I had spent three years of my life in Afghanistan and Iraq. And then somebody got triggered from that and I had to hear about it later. Um, and that was a wake up call. It's like, I didn't and say... What did they tell you? Did they tell you you can't talk about your military service or... No, they're, they're not allowed to tell you that, right? They're just like, hey, we have like these processes within the university and you just next time be sensitive about it because then i might have to do some online sensitivity training <sighs> and like to be quite honest like the way i've learned from it is i could go to human resources first and say hey listen i got triggered when that woman said she's worked in a cubicle environment for 20 years yeah like it's devastating to be under neon lights in a you know, tight little space. Yeah, and your phone is like not on mute, but the lowest ring volume and stuff like that, or maybe the light flashes because you don't want to disturb other people. To me, that's frightening, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it is those government spaces. Um, but I mean, I can't do that. It's un it's unbelievable. I mean, have you have you had um, people you've been introduced to ask if you've killed anybody or? Um, I think kids, like my sons. Yeah, outside of kids. I mean, kids are yeah, they're, they're, they're curious, naturally curious, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of rare. 
I think a lot of it, and I get this at hockey too, when I go play hockey as a goalie, uh, like a lot of pickup. Um, and when the guys find that out, there's probably one or two guys that are just super comfy. And then the rest of them, it's just kind of like when they find out that you see the heads are hanging and yeah. they just don't know how to deal with yeah. it. Um, and the last time I came out of Iraq, uh, my wife had bought her house in Ottawa. The kids were signed up in hockey uh, and I literally came off the plane, went straight to the hockey rink, and this is when I really got a good clue of where civilians were like with the military, yeah. even though I wasn't in the military at the time. And they're like, so how, how was Afghanistan? And I was like, I was on the last combat mission in Afghanistan, and that was in 2011, you know? And this is almost like 10 years after yeah. the fact, and uh, like there's not a soul in Afghanistan from Canada right now, you know? Um, so, uh, it, it was, um, kind of a wake up call to see they, they don't know, uh, it's just not vocalized by the leadership, which are members of parliament that we actually yeah. have it. And this is why we do it. Um, so it's kind of a shame that way. What are your opinions on, uh, the getting, getting the, uh, interpreters and found uh, and the families of the people that worked for us overseas into Canada? And do you think it was a shit show from the word go? It was a shit show from the word go. Because um, some of the people that I've known internally, like there were colonels and generals like sending emails on a Friday and saying, okay, we'll pick this up on Monday. And it's like people's lives are at risk. Yeah. And you're fucking paid and you're like under the National Defense Act. You can work 24-7, right? And especially at that rank level. But there was nothing in place for these guys. No, it's pathetic. Like these are guys, the interpreters, as you know, or going out on the patrols, going mm. out on hits, whatever, um, and they're not getting brought into Canada. It's just shameful, absolutely shameful. I, uh, the only thing that bugs me is um, there are guys that you just know he's a good dude, yeah, and then there are others that were shady as fuck. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I'm just wondering what the criteria is to bring those guys in, right? Um, because there are definitely a couple guys that are on my mind that it's like, no, you're not getting on the plane. Yeah. But I, I can think of the, the young guy that would clean up around my UMS and, uh, mm-hmm. and he was just a, there's good people there. Naive young guy. Yeah. There are good people yeah. there. A lot of w- one of, one of my first impressions, we were driving down a uh, highway one, uh, from Kabul to uh, Kandahar yeah. and, uh, <laughs> always an exciting time. And we come through this one little shanty town, and uh, this kid waved at me, and I waved back at him. And this guy behind him just smokes him. <laughs> I'm going, fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, he hit this kid hard. And I'm betting that kid didn't wave at foreign soldiers again. But I'm mm-hmm. thinking, what the hell kind of country are we in here? Not everybody is happy with us being here, apparently. No. Wow, it's outstanding. I think one of the challenges with Afghanistan is just. I saw how important in Iraq education was. Yeah. I was teaching a mortar class to some Kurds Mm -hmm. and the younger men, like in their early twenties, they sat down at the tables that we provided for them and they sat there properly. They organized their paper in front of them with a eraser and pen and they were prepared to learn because they saw the whiteboard in front and I was going to use that. And all the old dogs and Shalah were like backs against the wall at the back of class and they're like god willing it's gonna work and it's like that's not physics or any kind of geometry right 
Uh, and so, but Iraq was really cool because the final training exercise was actually doing the test on ISIS, mm. uh, which I thought was just badass. Um, and, and they did really well. Where I'm going at with all this is in Afghanistan, we brought a lot of technology to a people who are in the Stone Age. Yeah. Right? Um, like, obviously, they're not completely in the Stone Age, but there's so much basics that they're missing. Um, so, like, they're, they're looking fucking for... fucking not far from the Stone Age. That's a fact. They're looking for the next 20 bucks for the meals the next couple of days. Yeah. And their services are out to the highest bidder or whoever is going to keep them alive the longest. Right. You can't put it past them, but that is kind of an influx that we gave them is all this tech. And, uh, and it's just interesting to see what they do with it. How long is it going to last there? I mean, unless they get the Russians to come in and help them out, which seems unlikely. You Um, never know. Yeah. Chinese maybe. Maybe there's definitely like there's Chinese mercenaries out there. Right, and there's definitely Russian mercenaries as well, um, or a little bit of everyone, probably. Oh yeah. Um, but like for them, um, like when the fall happened last year, I was really comfortable with my take on education. That after 20 years, if you're a people that don't understand that a few will have to make the ultimate sacrifice, so that the greater vision uh, moves forward on rails. And you want to like, you had all the gear. Yep. You had the advantage of all this training and stuff. And then you, you, you dropped it. So it's like, no problem. So when my dad, my son says, dad, I'm thinking about joining. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like my immediate family has got over a hundred years of service. Yep. I'm perfectly comfortable watching you go to university, go get a women's gender studies ba- bachelor of arts. All right. And go like have all the excellent human feels that you can and like indulge and do that, right? Yeah, but we are we kind of hypocrites saying that? I mean, because both of us would return to the theater. Well, I sort of speaking for you, but uh, we spoke about it earlier. I would. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we would go back in an instant. Yeah, but uh, we're telling our kids, no, that's not the job for you. Be smarter than that. Go to school. Get what, a- what I'm saying here, to be clear, is if my son wants to join. Like, I'm going to have, like, several talks with them. Yeah. Like, I was nervous as a kid watching my parents go, even though there was no Afghanistan back then. Yeah. Like, I literally, when, when you see a plane leave or the car go, it's pretty fucking fast. When the boat's pushing off with a tugboat, like, it takes forever for that thing to go over the horizon. <laughs> it's the shittiest feeling as the kid ever. And I always told myself, I'm never joining the military. And then I look at me, I went into Special Operations Forces yeah. and deployed, like, you wouldn't believe... So, uh, so what attracted you to SOF? Jumping out of airplanes. Well, you could have done that without SOF. Yeah, I know. I did it in the conventional force. Yeah. And, and then when I was in the artillery, like I, wanted, I needed more. Yeah. It became boring really fast. No doubt. Like basic training was the worst experience of my life because I was like, I just want to do it. You know, let me polish my fucking boots. Yep. Right. But you, the instructor still has to yell at you. It's never good enough. Right. And I was like, you're just making me angry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then in special operations on the course, um, really came into my own as like an adult yeah. because you're in, being treated as an adult. You're treated as an adult, but like I was definitely and still am to some degree, but like I wasn't emotionally intelligent. 
So when I couldn't control something, I would just yell. Mm -hmm. So that worked okay, like in basic training and stuff like that. Uh, Almost like a traditional army guy, if you will. But like I've always been like that. And then being surrounded with the amazing talent, men and women in the uh, community, um, like it's either grow or kind of get out. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool to, to see that piece there. The only, the only part I've seen other place I've seen that in was the airborne regiment. And, uh, one case I remember specifically was nice. we got a new signaler in the OC got a new signaler in and we put in an attack and the signaler couldn't keep up. He was gone that like three days later, clear yeah. out your fucking history. We're getting somebody else in. They, they didn't mess around. You no, know, there was no fuckery. Well, obviously there was some fuckery or we wouldn't have got disbanded, but, you know, but from a training perspective, mm-hmm. it was, and, and training perspective and care for each other. Um, th- there's a genuine bond there yeah. that, um, you probably want to get in and you don't get that at, um, I don't know, service battalion or something. You only get that in a combat arms kind of environment. So when shared hardship. Yeah. You've tried the same ground, risk, risk the same, uh. Taking yeah. the same risks. And then you probably better appreciate it after some time. Yeah. Like I see a lot of guys, I think, running towards that brick wall that I kind of hit. Yeah. And they just don't see it yet until you leave. And then that mission, the mission is over. So you need to identify a new mission really fucking fast. Or else, like, who knows what your brain's going to do to you. What was your, uh, what was your routine when you got home after a uh, tour? <laughs> uh, it's really good. Um, I was like always going to do something big with the family. Mm-hmm. So like in 07, it was like a honeymoon slash getaway to Jamaica, get married and honeymoon at the same time. So two weeks away. Yep. Uh, in 09, my wife at the time and I, what we did is we flew into Barcelona. I rented like a Toyota minivan that was souped up. So the back is like a kitchenette and like a bed space. Nice. It's just us two. So we drove around Europe in that for like 20 days. Um, Went like along Pisa, Rome, Venice, through the Alps, Paris, back down to Barcelona, a few days on the beach. But like that stuff is like I need it. Keeps my brain occupied. But yeah. we were going where we wanted, when we wanted. Yeah. Right. That's you weren't on somebody else's schedule. hundred yeah. percent. And during the tour, I was planning all of this, right? <laughs> like my wife didn't know it at the time, but I was like, this is important to me. So I had like, you know, uh, point A, B, C, D, et cetera. Um, and then 2011, uh, went down to Australia, uh, for a couple of weeks. That was a good one. And then in 2015, um, I forget what we did after 2015, uh, but uh, then with uh, Northern Iraq in 2018, 2019, I brought the family to London, England. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we met up with another plank holder, Chris Doyles, who was out there. Yep. So the uh, Linda and the kids flew out. I was coming out of uh, Iraq. And so again, like a modern Volkswagen yep. van though this time, so it doesn't fail, uh, into Belgium, the Netherlands, Saw Vimy, uh, down to Paris for my daughter, uh, and then back, uh, Juno beach, uh, mm-hmm. back to London, like a good couple of weeks. So your routine is to not really have a routine other than getting out of Canada and traveling around and blowing off some steam and hundred percent covering. You cannot just go to the couch. Not no, me anyways. No, I'm sure there's plenty of people that are, uh-huh. um, I, I know. So you don't, you don't have any ill effects. Like you're not nervous around little brown people or. Anything like that? Hearing the call to prayers, 
Yeah. Like it's um it'll just make me think about it yeah. a lot. Um but like brown people know dirt paths. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't dig that. I remember in Afghanistan Andre was our EOD and you know and and then he's indigenous background, right? So sometimes it's like I don't see what you're seeing. Like I don't have the same training he does. Yeah. But he's like swatting dirt and rocks away and then you'd find a mine, right? And I was like I didn't see that. It's like there's got to be a spirit telling him or something like that. Yeah. And then uh, at the same time, you're just worried about you're going to see him. And then in a flash, is he going to disappear? Yeah. So, I mean, the amount of times I had to take a knee and just like cover his arcs while he's doing his job, it's just a shitty feeling. And, uh, but it's always impressive to see how cool he was about it. Um, uh, even when uh, the guy Bobby lost his uh, legs, like on the video, you see Andre, this giant, he's a giant, get blown upwards into a wall. And he falls on his feet and he collapses his like metal detector baton, sweeps the area like in a second. And then he's taken out like the foot powder and saying, okay, this is a possible area. And he just proved the whole thing, right? Yeah. Like it was remarkable work. Was was Bobby the dog handler? Was he an American with a 666 tattoo on his uh, neck? I don't know if he had 666 on there, but yeah, he's a big boy from Alaska. Uh, was he? I don't know. Bobby Eldridge. Yeah, I can't remember Buddy's but, um, name. His dog, one of his dogs was just psycho. Uh, I don't think, no, he wasn't a big, big boy at all. Okay, um, different guy. Yeah, Bobby Eldridge, like a smaller frame guy. A great dude. He was my roommate uh, over there at the VSO, so the Village Stability Operations. Yeah. Um, and so, and his dog was nuts. Like, it was really something. So when he was blown up, I was amazed, like, getting ready. I had gunship and then the medevac bird coming in, but... Every moment I would look somewhere in the AO, the dog was there. Like, yeah. it was running everywhere. And I was like, this is insane. Like, you know, he's putting on tens of kilometers in that moment instead of, like, just chilling out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that day was a, a horrible shit show of a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to rank right up there with bad days. Yeah, it's definitely one of the, the top two or three for sure. You're, you're getting help now, I guess, for for depression and other and the, the anxiety disorder, yes. and uh so like the work is in for ptsd so like the big one is that anxiety piece just makes like the muscles clench right okay. and so that just goes uh mentally like two and a half years now almost three years with this one woman and the one thing i i recognized uh with her is that it's nothing like what we've received at the unit with terms of like psychological assistance at all um so like i get really emotional about it because this woman is there so that like i can make the best of my life moving forward yeah i still have like half my career to go through right um whereas in the military now it's really like okay he's coming back is he going to murder his family no checking the box get in there or hey uh are you like ready to go kill people fantastic checking the box get over there yeah and that was really it. Um, so, like, this one here, though, it's like, there's a lot of tools. So, like, exposure therapy is what I'm doing. Um, and so that's, that's really challenging. What's the exposure therapy involved? Uh, for example, one of the, my incidences is almost drowning. And so um, I never really realized it. But you were a kid? Uh, you were almost drowned? Or? No, in, in 09. 
In theater? Uh, yeah. So it was like one of my first uh, missions as a JTAC. You and, fall into a well? Uh, no, it was like a little kind of river type yeah. thing. So I did like a cartwheel uh, in, uh, in, in the water because the current was that strong. And then I just kind of like knew I was doing a cartwheel. So I was letting myself go. Yeah. But then I noticed that like my hand was into like clay to like my elbow. Mm-hmm. And because your upper body is heavy with your gear, then that's why it was easy for me to do a cartwheel. Yeah. But then your legs are so streamlined, the water is kind of going by. So as, and I do this, like I did it yesterday, you know, like twice, two, three times a week. The legs are now like kind of hunched over themselves. And I just accepted the fact that I was going to drown there because the plates are now like pushing my upper lip down. The helmet's like pushing it down my nose. It's super fucking uncomfortable. And then you want to open your eyes, but all you see is like a green glow in the darkness. So that's kind of spooky. So you just close your eyes. (laughs) Um, And when I found out that my arm was in the clay, then that's when I started swallowing water. Mm -hmm. And that was like ridiculously violent, Um, just painful. Uh, and, And then what was shocking is understanding that I didn't have a say in the matter. Is just like now it's time to start breathing, but you're breathing uh, water. water yeah. um, and then it's just like laugh flashes before your eyes. Uh, you do that thing really quick. And, and then when I found out that my legs were coming back down, I was about to be on all fours, mm-hmm. just got right back up, you know, like puke out water on the embankment. Yep. But um, like the, the rest of that mission, like, and that's what the, the psych's trying to get me to do is divorce myself from the mission and just think about that moment, which was a trauma. You don't have time to think about that. Like I literally had gunship and two F-15s uh, that evening and a B-1 bomber, right? So you got to like manage these guys. They have no idea what's going on. And yeah. uh, we, we pulled up like a couple kilometers later to two guys that were supposed to be EWS or the early warning system, mm-hmm. but they were lying down and because they had a, like a a carpet over them. Mm-hmm. The sensors of the planes didn't see their heat signature, but we caught them. And then, um, again, this is like one of my first hits. So the cries of grown men, like, you know, late at night, you're like sleep fucked. And then you just see these like robots with like chest rigs and stuff, pick you up. Yeah. Like they were, they knew the, the gig was up. Yeah. And then when we got to the gate, we we're going to blow the gate to get inside the compound. But where I was in the stack, there was like a cutout in the wall. So I just put like my IR light in there and there was like a small baby like that in the wall, but outside, this is the wall to get inside the compound, not even the house. And that was a moment where I was like, where the fuck am I? (laughs) You know? Well, I guess it's a way of keeping the kid cool. Yeah, absolutely. What was really funny about that too? Like it's such a jam packed event night. So now we, the snipers get on the rooftop. I get on there too after them and just kind of chill out. I was freezing because I just got completely wet head to toe. Yeah. Um, it's like the differences at night is like, you know, a 20 degree drop. So it's I'm, I'm shivering. Yeah. And then we walked back to like a cop, right? So we parked our vehicles there. A cop being? Um, some kind of outpost. I forget like it was the Dand District Center. Actually, I forget the, what the C stands for too. Yeah. Anyways, really, Cop, s- folks, look it up. Yeah, really small forward operating base. Yeah. You know, it's like really forward. So, but it was the Dan District Center, and uh, we parked all our vehicles there. Now, before leaving to drive back to Graceland, uh, our FOB, 
Um, what happened is 24 hours prior, a guy blew himself up at the gate, killed ANA and uh, a couple of Canadians. Yeah. So there's now like a lot of people at the gate as a concern. And uh, at this time I had a British tornado overhead. Uh, so what was really funny is I couldn't understand what the pilot was saying. <laughs> and I told him, sir, I apologize. But I can't understand a fucking thing you're saying. Exactly. But I will ask you questions that just need a yes or a no. Yeah. And it's like, do you understand? And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Felt so bad. So I explained to him what's going on. And then I was like, here's my game plan. I want you to do a show force. It's going to disperse people. And once they're dispersed, then we'll roll out. Fantastic. And then you see this dot coming down from the sky. And then he says, I see like a tower at this, at uh, this a center how tall is it and i was like 50 feet and he's like i'll be 70 feet off the ground it's like sweet a lot of operators and assaulters had turned off their m-biter radios at the time so i was like show force 60 seconds a lot of guys had never seen a show force either show force 30 seconds and uh one of the guys was talking to the ground force commander by the window and he swore on his life that he thought an RPG was coming in or like an, a mortar round into the compound, right? <laughs> and boom, this tornado just takes off, like goes straight back up, popping some flares. And like for me, I just got a huge hard on out of it, of course. Yeah. But like this guy went into the prone position faster than he's ever gone <laughs> down, right? And then some of the guys had the audacity the following day, they had like a little newspaper on camp mm. and they're like, JTAC's an idiot. He put like the tornado at risk by flying it, you know, a hundred feet off the the deck. And I had to explain to them that if you're looking to your right and you see the plane coming, you'll need to take the RPG and point to your left yeah. to try and hit that hit thing. Yeah. Like it's short of the speed of sound, right? Uh, so it was like a learning experience for all. But overall, from like an maybe a near death experience for me. Like, you know, taking in water into the lungs, like um, yeah. like a jam-packed day. Did you end up with an infection or anything? No, nothing. Like, I felt horrible because I thought um, I was going to be sick with the water. Yeah. But it, because there's clay there, the the sand filtered. It yeah. filtered yeah. Uh, and that's my, my challenge today is that I'll drink Perrier all day long. Yeah. I'll drink a coffee. But if, if I haven't eaten and it's super clean, like, water, like, it affects me. Hmm. yeah and shower sometimes weird yeah that is odd it's just on the shoulders <laughs> so that's that's one of them it's the first one uh exposure therapy that we're doing yeah and then the next one are are going to be those moments where like how am i not like dead after that yeah um and then of course the iraq like the body count was just like at first i was like this is fucking cool now i can make my hollywood movie um, but uh, of course there's, there's tons of other operators with like tremendous stories. Right. Uh, but for me, it was just like, uh, that was a lot. Yeah, I've got some cool stories over the years, but you know, nothing that stands up besides a lot of these operators are like, Oh fuck. <laughs> you know, I, I remember uh, talking to guys, he goes, well, I wouldn't mind taking a, taking a bullet just in the plate, just enough to give you an idea of what it's like. And I'm, I said, well, it could go into your plate, but then it could ricochet up into your face. Yeah. And it would be not much fun anymore. I don't want to try that. Skip it completely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We're at 40 minutes right now in the segment. All right. Well, hang on. We'll uh, cut out to part three.